Good morning. Welcome to you all, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. It's a great privilege to be able to worship our God together, and it's great to be part of a church family that has so much going on. Um, One of the things that um, has been pointed out to me is that some of you rely on the printed diary to see what's going on. And um, this year, um, you won't have got one yet. But the good news is that everything that is planned is on the website. So if you'd like to find out what is planned, um, have a look at the website and you'll be able to uh, see what's planned going forward. Um, The advantage of that, of course, is that the website can be kept up to date. Um, One thing that's planned this week, for those of you who are members of the church here, is the quarterly church meeting on Tuesday. Those of you who um, keep abreast of uh, all the government announcements will know the good news that um, the COVID restrictions um, are going to be relaxed even more from next Wednesday. So that means that from Thursday, um, we won't be required to wear masks in church like we are today. We will still keep the um, area at the back on the left-hand side for those who would uh, like to be protected and wear masks. But for the rest of us, we'll be free not to wear masks and to sing without the masks. Um, Some of you um, may know um, that mum's in hospital. She's had another fall, um, and they think she might have fractured her pelvis. So when I mention that in prayer, it might not be a a surprise. It's good to have us all here, but the thing that we are here to do is worship God. And let's uh, start uh, by singing this great song. O great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Let's stand and sing.
Well, our first Bible reading this morning carries on in Luke from where we were last week. And if you, those of you with good memories will remember how last week um, Jesus was telling his disciples how he was going to be um, given over, betrayed and put to death. Now perhaps if, if we'd been writing the Bible, we wouldn't have written this next section. Because it really comes up as quite a shock. But maybe it doesn't if we know our own personalities. So we're reading from Luke chapter 22, and we're starting at verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and as I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money, bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now... Let the one who has money ba- a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword set his cloak and buy one. For I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. Now, Martin is uh, going to give the children's talk, so if you usually come up the front, please do so now. see so many children, it's lovely, you come up the front, I hope you've got your thinking brains on with you today, okay, we are going to look at the word hope, okay, we're going to look at the word hope, would anyone be brave enough to give me an explanation for what they think the meaning of hope is, 
Would anyone be willing to have a go? Annie's put her hand up. Elle's very bravely put her hand up. Do you want to have a go, Katie? Got nice and loudly. That's brilliant. I can, yeah, I can go with that. Hope means that you really want something to happen. Okay. Now, I've got some questions, and I want to know whether the word that goes into the space in the sentence is the word hope or no. Okay. So let's have a look at these questions. I something. We have pizza for tea tomorrow. So is it? I hope we have pizza for tea, for tea tomorrow, or I know we're going to have pizza for tea tomorrow. What do we reckon? Do you have a go? No? Go on then, Molly. You hope, you hope you have tea for pizza tomorrow. I actually hope we don't, but, you know, you hope you have tea for pizza tomorrow. Yes, that's true, isn't it? Because we don't actually know that we'll have pizza for tea tomorrow. Our mums might change their mind. There might be something else that they do. What about the next question? I hope, or I know, it won't rain tomorrow. Who enjoys wet play at school? Yeah, you enjoy wet play? Oh, I didn't. I didn't like wet play. So what do we reckon? You know it won't rain tomorrow, do you? Wow, I know what job you're going to do when you're older. Does anyone else want to have have a... I hope, yeah, I hope it won't rain tomorrow, or I hope it's going to be sunny. Okay, yes. So all these things are things we've got no control over, have we? Okay. What about the next one? I something, I am alive. Eh? I hope I am alive, or I know I am alive. There's a few more hands now, isn't there? You know. Oh, that's brilliant. I'm glad you pleased you know that you're alive. Absolutely. And then we've got one more. Okay. I something, I will go to heaven and live forever. Now, do you think that's hope or no? Okay. Jess, I don't think I've asked you. Hope, yes. I hope I will go to heaven and live forever. And I hope that all of you hope that you're going to go to heaven and live forever. Next one. Got a present. Oh, glasses fall off. Does anyone know what's inside that present on the screen? No? Does anyone know what's inside this present I've got in my hand? Well, I don't either. Someone has given me a present, and I don't know. There's no good looking at mum, it's not her. Okay? She doesn't know what's in here either. Okay? There's only two people that know what's in here in the church. Okay? Right? So, I don't know what's in here. But like you... I hope it's something good. How many of you hope there's something good in a present? Yeah. Now, I can feel it. It's, got, it's, it's tough. Plastic. I can shake it. One thing, two things, a few things. If it's in something hard, it must be protected, mustn't it? Now, what I do know is the person who gave this to me loves me. Okay? And I know that the person who gave this to me wouldn't give me... Does anyone remember a nice, gold, shiny present that was full of rubbish? Yeah? Well, I know that there won't be um, rubbish in this present, okay? Because I know about the person 
who gave it to me. So actually, I don't just hope there's something good in here. I know there's going to be something good in here. Yeah? Now, I don't know what's in here. Am I brave enough to open it? Let's see. Does anyone want to have a guess what might be in here? No? No, I'm going to have a sneak preview. Just to see. Oh, yes. She really does love me. She really does love me. She has been good to me. Okay? How many of you like these? And I'm not sharing them with you. (laughs) There's not enough to go round. So, I knew that this person loved me. And I knew this person would give me a good present. So I didn't have to hope. There was no uncertainty. I knew, okay, that that would be a good present. Thank you, Grandma, whatever Grandma is. Okay, yeah. So, what does the Bible say? Okay, there's this verse in the New Testament when Paul's writing to Titus, and does anyone want to read it out? Arlo, do you want to read it out? In a nice, loud voice, go on. Brilliant. Okay, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised. Now, we talked about heaven, didn't we, and everlasting life. The Bible talks about heaven, and it talks about eternal life, everlasting life. Now, when we look at that verse, okay, there's a a few things that we can pull out all about God. Okay, remember I knew Grandma loved me, and she wouldn't give me something that was horrible. What can we tell about that verse about God? Right, one thing he has promised Now, when someone promises you something, do you believe that they're going to give it to you? Okay? When someone promises you something, no? Yes, well, when God promises something, okay, we know he will give it to you. And not only did he promise, there's something else about God that we can read. What does he never do? What does God never do? Lie. He never lies. So when he promises something, okay, we know he never lies. And... What have we the hope of? What has he promised us? What have we promised? What has he promised us? Eternal life, yes, eternal life. So we have this hope, okay, that God has said, when we die, we will have eternal life. Now, I'm going to say hope is no. Because actually, I know, because God has promised it to me, okay, and because I know that God doesn't lie, I will have eternal life when I die. Now, is that appropriate for everyone? Can everyone say, I know I will go to heaven and have eternal life? Can everyone say, you know, that God has promised them eternal life? Who are the people that can say that? Who are the people, Just People who've been forgiven. And hope, the word hope is used lots of times in the Old Testament. Even though they haven't seen Jesus, even though they haven't read about Jesus like we have, they hope in God, okay? They hope in the Lord. And that's where our hope should be. Our hope should be in Jesus and asking him for forgiveness that when we die, we will know that we will go to heaven to be with him and have eternal life. Great. Well, thank you for listening so well.
go back to your seats. Thank you, Martin. It's great to have people from all ages worshipping with us today. And um, Peter and Iris Sampson uh, are celebrating their diamond wedding anniversary. We asked them to choose a hymn. And they've chosen this next one that we're going to sing together. And it's great for us to celebrate and to remember together that as we try and worship God, we don't have to guess at what God wants. We don't have to rely on an expert to tell us because he has told us, written in his word, in black and white in front of us, what he wants, what he promises, and that gives us something that we can rely on. So let's stand and sing the words of how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord,
pray. Father, we do thank you that we come to a reliable God. And we thank you that as we come to you, you know us. You know each of us as individuals. Lord, you, you know those of us who have been frantically busy and are worried about how we're going to cope with the stresses and strains of life. You know those of us who are feeling a bit lost and not knowing what the future holds because we don't have enough to do. Oh Lord, you know each one of us. You know whether we're feeling at peace or whether we're feeling in the middle of conflict whether we're feeling joy or whether we're suffering great loss and grief. Oh, we thank you, Father, that you tell us to cast all our cares on you, knowing that you care for us. And we want to do that now. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to be people who make it our practice, our habit, our daily thing, to talk to you, to ask you for the help we need to share with you our concerns. Oh Lord, we are sad that so often it's true of us that we don't have because we don't ask. And when we ask, we're not asking with the right motives. Oh Lord, we pray that you will fill us with your good and right and perfect desires so that we might know real joy. Oh Lord, we know that when Jesus came, he he said that he came to bring full life, abundant life to people. And Lord, we pray especially that you will help us to know the joy of being forgiven. Know the joy of the bad things that we've done having been completely dealt with because you loved us enough to send Jesus. You loved us enough to send Jesus to die to take the punishment that our sin deserved. Oh Lord, we ask that you will warm our hearts and that you will help us to rejoice that we are ransomed, that we're healed, that we're restored, that we're forgiven, and that one day each one of your children can look forward to a life of no more pain, of complete and perfect joy, of being with you forever. Oh Lord, we thank you that you've heard our prayers. We thank you that as we prayed that there would be folk from first steps coming into Sunday school, we've heard that people want to come. And Lord, we pray many more will. And Lord, we've prayed that people will want to hear about you. And we thank you for the opportunity that the Hope Explored course gives for people to hear more about you. And Lord, we ask that as we aim and hope to share the joy of knowing you, First, that it will be a reality in our lives. It will be something that flows over. But also that you will help that message to be heard by those that you are choosing to bring from darkness into light. To know that joy of a relationship with you. Oh Lord, we do thank you. It's not just in Crowborough that your good news is going out, but that there's 
work going out on in uh, the whole of our country. And Lord, we do pray that as there's a special focus on that, that your people will be given really good opportunities and that there will be a response. And we thank you that it's not just in this country. Oh Lord, we do pray for your good news throughout the world. Oh Lord, we we hear worrying things about world leaders and about what they are doing. And Lord, we, we pray especially for Turkey and northern Cyprus. Lord, we are we are concerned where we where we hear how freedoms seem to be restricted. But we thank you that we know that your good news is not chained. And we pray that you will work and that your good news will be used to meet the needs of the people in that country. And that you will help James and Rachel and the church there as they proclaim your good news. And Lord, we pray for our rulers. Lord, it seems another time of tumult, another time of disunity, another time of disappointment. Oh Lord, we pray that you will give us rulers of service and integrity. Oh Lord, we we thank you for what we do have. We pray for more. We ask, Lord, that you will be kind to our country. But as we pray that, we know that we don't deserve for you to be kind to us as a country because we've turned our backs on you. We've ignored you. And Lord, we pray that in your mercy, you will wake us up. We pray you'll start with the Christians. We pray that you'll start with those of us who love you, that you'll help us to turn away from the things that we make too important so that we make you the thing of most importance. Oh Lord, we thank you that you're with us in every situation. We pray that you will comfort those who mourn. We ask, Lord, that especially you'll be with those who are in hospital, especially with those who are in hospital today, that they may know your peace and your presence as people in our church family are in pain and feeling the effect of being separated from those that they love. Oh Lord, we do pray that you will be with them, that you will bless them. Oh Lord, we thank you that we can be confident that you are our good God. And we pray that as John teaches us from your word, that you will help us to hear your voice, remember what you're saying to us, and that it will change our lives. Amen. So now we're going to have our second Bible reading. 
And this was written about 600 years before Jesus came to earth. As God gave this message to one of his prophets about what was going to happen in the future. So we're reading from Isaiah. We're reading from chapter 53. And we're going to start reading at verse 4. So, this is what it reads. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent... So opened not, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one My servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. incredible when you think that that level of detail came true in Jesus' life about 600 years after that message was given. Well, after our next song, John is going to come and speak to us. But before that, let's sing. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast.
So last week was very important, the thing that we looked at in uh, the Gospel of Luke, we thought about why Jesus died. Uh, the services are recorded on, re- on video and o- audio, so if you missed that and you'd like to catch up on last week's important theme, then feel free to do so from the website. And we carry on this week in the account of Luke, um, of the life of Jesus. Uh, we're going through this stage by stage in what is explained and being thought of. The cross is still in view and it will be in view in coming weeks. But this week the focus is more on the life of disciples. We have had the famous uh, Last Supper, the institution, the beginning of the Lord's Supper, and uh, then after then, lots of important things are said by Jesus. And in verses 24 to 38, we have Luke's selection of the things that are said. Now maybe you find yourself asking uh, sometimes, what's it like to be a Christian? What is it like to be as a Christian? What sort of life is it to live the Christian life. Some people think like that, ask questions like that. You may say, well, I know there is joy, I know there is peace, I know there is hope, as we've heard, but things can be difficult too, can't they? What does it look like to live the Christian life, the life of a disciple? Well, these verses this morning will help us to think through that further. They give us an idea, and I, I, I suggest that they especially help us to think about the Christian life and aspects of it in the light of the cross. Hence the title, Discipleship After the Cross. And there's three features of discipleship, of living as a Christian, that Jesus brings out in this teaching in these verses. Um, each of them is shocking. It's not what you expect, it's not what they expected. And in each of them, Jesus will also uh, teach them, convey something about himself. And we want to spot that as we go through. Well, and here's the first theme, feature of the Christian life that comes out in these verses. It is humble service. Humble service. Muhammad Ali had got into the disciples. Muhammad Ali was the heavyweight boxer, most of you would have heard of him of a few decades ago, whose constant boast and taught was, I am the greatest, I am the greatest. And the disciples are arguing along similar lines. Verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Perhaps the self-defence of following on from what Jesus said last week about who is the betrayer and they were defending themselves may be that they were not the betrayer and that has led on to self-promotion. Self-promotion. They're boasting about themselves who is top dog amongst them. It's appalling when you think of what Jesus was facing in the next few hours that they should be speaking, arguing along these lines. And in many ways we might look down on these boastful, uh, egotistical uh, followers of Jesus, but then we look at our own hearts. 
and perhaps we think differently. Because can't our own hearts be desperately seeking recognition, competing for recognition, wanting to be the greatest? Of our children having the most awards and the best grades? Of us being seen as the best salesperson at work? Of having the best clothes sense, perhaps, in the class? As being the closest and most helpful friend to someone? Well, we're thankful when things go well. We're thankful when we're useful. We're thankful when those close to us uh, seem to be getting on okay. But aiming for the glory of the top spots and public recognition, having the angst and jealousy and rivalry in our hearts when others seem to be edging in front of us and getting more attention, Jesus is clear that's not how his kingdom works. It's how society often works. We're working through these verses, verse 25. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors. There's a whole system of public recognition. The benefactors uh, celebrated their own achievements and others publicly celebrated their achievements. But his disciples were going to be different, verse 26, but not so with you. But not so with you. And then he turns our value system, if you like, on its head. And the great person is the top of the hierarchical pyramid, isn't that right? It is the chairman, isn't it? Or the chief executive officer, or it is the head of department, is that right? The great person is the older person, the the senior person, the person who gives orders. Is that right? That's the great person. When you go to a a restaurant, um, the important people are the customers, especially the one with the wallet and the one who's leading the party. That's right, isn't it? This is Jesus' take on it in verse 26. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. True greatness is to look out for others, is to do the grotty jobs, is to have a life shaped more about doing good for others than doing good for ourselves. Jesus is saying, don't aim to be above the rest, but to serve the rest. There's a bit of a gulp, isn't there, when you think about such things. How does this spirit of Jesus, of service, work out um, in our marriages? service in our marriages? How does it work out in your workplace team? How does it work out in your church responsibility, humble service? 
How's it work out in the playground? How's it work out in the residential lounge? To cap it all, Jesus inserts then something about himself which should give us a big nudge in this direction. He says in verse 27, but I am among you as the one who serves. But I am among you as the one who serves. Well, it's almost worth a screenshot, isn't it? What a phrase. Jesus saying this. Jesus with his power and his glorious position status saying, I am among you as one who serves. John records the amazing feet washing episode where Jesus washes the smelly, dirty feet of his disciples as a servant would. Jesus was even more going to go to the cross to die out of love for others. What a humble servant he was. Humble service. Well, most of you wouldn't have heard my uh, bride's speech, uh, bride's father's speech, and not bride's speech, bride's father's speech um, last year. So here's just one little snippet of it, which fits in. So uh, Gemma um, had a boyfriend, um, and it was going to be the first time he was brought home to stay with us. Uh, we were looking to size him up, but charitably, of course. Uh, we had uh, breakfast on the first morning, and um, in those uh, at that stage, when we had finished one of our cereal boxes, we'd throw it to the dog, and the dog would chew it all up and uh, leave lots of little bits of cardboard all around the dining room. Well, that happened that morning, um, and then after breakfast, uh, I come in, come back into the room, expecting to pick up all the bits of cardboard, but there are none on the carpet. Somebody had already been in and picked up all the horrible little fiddly bits, some of them a bit damp, of the cardboard from the dog, picked them up nicely, placed them in the bin without any fanfare or drawing any attention. And it was Morgan. And I was suitably impressed. (laughs) Humble service. Humble service. Well... We certainly can't take the cross up like Jesus did in the same way as he did. We can't uh, take the towel and wash feet. These days it's different. We're not likely to take the cardboard up because your situation will be different. But perhaps you can sometimes take up the tea towel or the hoover or the loo brush. Or perhaps in our situation it may be to take the phone and call someone to do them good, to encourage them. Or to take the car and pick somebody up as they need help. Or to take a Sunday school class and serve the children by giving to them. Recently one group here cleared out out the store cupboard. That's a little cupboard down the steps, down on the right, under the Sunday school. That's not an easy job. That's not a nice job. You've got years of build-up of things. Well, what do we do with this in the store cupboard? You can barely walk through the place and they spend a long time, hours, getting it out, sorting it out, clearing it out. Humble service. I'm among you as one who serves. But what do we do about the honour we want? They were seeking honour. What do we do about 
reputation and fame. Well, I think that's where 28 to 30 fit in. I can't spend long on that because I want to get on to the others. But I think the answer is we leave it fully in the hands of Jesus. The, the disciples would have a, a key role and a place in the kingdom. They would be very involved in the gospel going forward um, after Jesus died. They would certainly enjoy fellowship with him forever. There was things to be enjoyed. There was a future. There was uh, things uh, that would be, if you like, honouring and enjoyable. But that's in the hands of Jesus to assign. Verses 28. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging, leading the twelve tribes of Israel, God's people. Concern for honour, leave that with Jesus. You and I just seek to humbly serve. The second aspect of discipleship, the other two are a little bit briefer, temptation survival. Temptation survival. So, Jesus now has some heartfelt words for Peter. There's a couple of things um, about them which are striking. One is that he uses Peter's old name, Simon. That was his pre-Christian name. So, that has a sense of foreboding about it, really. Um, The second thing is that he says it twice. Simon, Simon. And that sort of shows a particular sense of depth, uh, emotion, heartfelt concern, as it is, we say that twice to somebody who really sort of getting, getting to the heart of things. He's speaking to Peter, although he calls him Simon, but actually at this point he's talking about all of the disciples at first because the you here is plural. He goes on to speak to Peter individually more as it opens up. And his words to Peter and all of them, and all of us disciples, are actually quite alarming. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Satan, you know, it's so easy, isn't it, to forget that we have an enemy. Uh, The Bible is clear that there is a real evil spiritual being who is against God and seeks to damage those who follow God. The New Testament makes it plain in many ways. And here he's aiming to derail Peter. He talks about Satan sifting him as wheat. I'm struggling to watch a little U-view clip this morning to get a sense of what this is. But So the the wheat plus is in the, the sieve and you just want the wheat. So you... You shake it around, you shake it around, and over the shaking period, then the the wheat drops through the gaps, and what's left is up the top. And he's saying that Satan has wanted to, to shake you and sift you so that you drop out. It's a vigorous process. Oh, it's not nice to be a grain of wheat in that situation. It's a shaking, it's dislodging, it's unsettling. And Peter was going to be shaken and uh, he was going to be attacked and he was going to experience temptation. Now, 
Peter himself can't see it happening. The Bible says, beware you who stand lest you fall. Um, and he feels confident in his allegiance to Jesus. But Jesus tells him of the cowardice that he is going to show before the night's out. Verses 33 and 34. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So are we awake to the fact that the devil will be seeking to tempt us, to distract us, to derail us? Sometimes live oblivious to it. The devil aims to take away God's words from our heart. He aims to stir up gossip. He fires darts of doubt. He undermines assurance. He wants us to love money rather than Jesus. He wants to ensnare us to certain addictions. He wants to draw us away in immorality. in the Narnia films, the voyage of the dawn trader and the way in which temptation is depicted as green mist or green smoke coming to Lucy and co. Well, has it been a, a week, if you like, of green smoke coming your way, of lurement, temptation, the devil at work? That's what was happening for Peter, what was going to happen. Jesus said it happens to the disciples. Temptation is a feature of the Christian life. Now you might say, well this all sounds very frightening and uh, we might fear sort of being pulled away from from Jesus for, for good. We might think that when we floundered and when we failed, we might think there's no way back. So how encouraging to hear the second thing that Jesus says about himself. This is in verse 32 where he says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Our security is not finally in our own endurance, in our own resilience. It's in Jesus praying for us. The word often used is interceding, that Jesus, the risen Jesus, the ascended Jesus, is interceding or praying for his people. And that is a tremendous comfort for us as we face periods of temptation. Peter may forget Jesus, but Jesus wouldn't forget Peter. Same Jesus prays for all true followers. And they will survive. We sang, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Saviour loves me so. He will hold me fast. And look at what that would mean for Peter carries on in verse 32. And when you have turned, been restored, strengthen your brothers. I think that's so encouraging when you think of temptation and when you think of failing in temptation. 
You know, there is hope beyond temptation. There is hope beyond failing in the face of temptation. I don't say that to lessen your resolve, but I say it for those who look back over this last week when they planned not to get angry and did. When they planned not to look at what they shouldn't and yet did. When they planned not to be full of complaints and yet were. I say that for those who look back to some of the disasters in the past in their way of life. Peter failed, but he experienced restoring grace. And then he had a role to help others, strengthen others. From what you've learned, from your failure, warn, help, come alongside. Temptation, survival. Maybe you feel life is really quite shaking you at the minute. You feel, don't know which way you are, you're upside, things are just all over the place. Well, how comforting to think of Jesus praying and Jesus' restoration. Temptation, survival is the second of our points this morning. And we come on to the third part, which um, I think at first reading, and maybe even second reading and third reading, is a bit trickier. It's a trickier passage. It's the sort of passage where when you're reading through the Bible, you say, huh, what was happening here? And I think the main theme we should get from the, the last section of our verses this morning is battle readiness. Battle readiness. So Jesus continues with what he's saying to his disciples after the mill and, uh, and they, and we, are a bit taken aback by what he said here in 35 to 38. Jesus is comparing with the previous missions that he'd sent them on. We've had them in Luke, we've had them in chapter 9, we've had them in chapter 10. He, he's getting them to think about that and the way forward is going to be very different. So he gets them to remember in verse 35, he said to them, when I sent you out on those missions, I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals. Did you lack anything? They said nothing. He then adds a but now. But now is going to be different as you go forward from now, from the cross onwards, verse 36. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. In Top, uh, top Kappa Palace in Istanbul, in Turkey, a museum proudly displays swords of the fathers of Islam, Abu Bakr, Ali and even Muhammad. The collection of weapons there is over 33,000 weapons. Is Jesus saying something along those lines? Talk of swords? The answer, of course, is a clear, of course not. Of course not. 
when you come across things in the Bible and you're a bit stumbled as to how to understand them, it's good to look for some other verses which give a beam of light to help clarify. And we don't have to walk very far to do that in this case. We just jump to verse 50 and 51 where in Gethsemane, one of the disciples struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. The gospel doesn't advance through the sword. The gospel is not defended by the sword. They seem to be getting the, the wrong end of the stick, which is rather dangerous when you're talking about swords, isn't it? In verse 38, they say this. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And Jesus says, enough. And I don't think it means two swords is enough. That's okay, that's sufficient. I think he, he means, that's enough talk about swords. You're getting the wrong end of the stick. You're misunderstanding the situation. So what is Jesus conveying to them and to us at this point? He's saying there will be escalation in opposition to your mission. It, it wasn't always plain sailing before, but you had a good number of people to support you who would provide you. You didn't need to have lots of stuff because the general situation was fairly supportive. Well, it's not going to be like that as you go forward after the cross. You need to be ready to be rejected. You need to be ready for opposition. So, are we ready to be rejected as disciples? I don't like being rejected. Do you like being rejected? I hate being rejected. Do you hate being rejected? Are we ready to be not so well thought of in following Jesus? Are we ready to face opposition? Are we battle ready? Um, I come across an interesting book. I haven't actually got the book. I haven't read the book, but I've seen a bit about the book and I know the gist of the book. And the title of the book is this, Being the Bad Guys being the bad guys. And the gist of it is this, really, that in recent centuries, in the West especially, um, the church has often been tolerated and respected. But increasingly, with the culture changing as it is around us, that is also changing, and Christians are sometimes seen as the bad guys, not just as the slightly weird good guys, but now actually as the bad guys. That sometimes... Unfairly, uh, our views are seen as uh, narrow or bigoted, uh, bordering on the illegal sometimes. Because we fall foul, if you like, of the liberal consensus with our views on sex and ethics and religion. And so Christians may lovingly... um, thoughtfully, uh, out of respect for the Bible, have a, a certain line or understanding of, uh, of, 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 of ethics and sexuality, but they're labelled as homophobic or transphobic. They're, they're the bad guys. And sometimes Christians are on mass scene as the, the bad guys, labelled it unfairly, thoughtlessly. 
or in our society, you've got to believe that everyone is right in religion, that all the views sort of merge together somehow acceptably. But these Christians think that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. How intolerant they are, the bad guys. We don't aim to be the bad guys. There's good reasons for our views. We hold them humbly. We hold them lovingly to different groups. We hope that Christ's love through us will have a drawing influence, but sometimes we may be seen as the bad guys. Luke is going to write another book called Acts, which records the, the, the way forward for this group of 12 as they take the message of Jesus and they end up in prison. They end up with gagging orders. They end up being beaten because of their beliefs. The bad guys... And why is that? And, 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 and what will encourage us as we go forward, if that's the pattern? Well, Jesus tells us another thing about himself, and that will help. He quotes from the Old Testament. We read the passage. He quotes in verse 37. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfilment. He was numbered with the lawless. He was seen as a lawless one. He was seen as a lawbreaker. Jesus never did anything wrong from start to finish. But he was numbered with the transgressors, with the criminals. So if we are rejected or opposed, we won't be the first to be rejected or opposed. We'll just be following the pattern that Jesus set. But one thing will keep us going is remembering why he did that and why he allowed himself to be considered the lawless one. It's because out of love for others, and in obedience to his Father's will, he was going to the cross to suffer for others. It's through this Isaiah 53 and so many parts. If you've not read Isaiah 53 before, it's worth having a think through. But just a couple of phrases around it. And he shall bear their iniquities or their sins. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So if you face the path of rejection or opposition, remember you're following the pathway of somebody who did that so fully out of love for you. Be ready for rejection. So what does it look like to follow Jesus in the light of the cross? Well, here are some features. Battle readiness or rejection readiness. Temptation survival and humble service. And the last of those, first on the list, is what we'll pick up as we turn to our last song. An amazing song about Jesus. From heaven you came, helpless babe, Entered our world, your glory vowed, not to be served, but to serve and give your life 
that we might live. Father, we thank you for the teaching in your word that we've looked at this morning. We feel a mixture of challenge and encouragement. Lord, help us to be like Jesus and humbly serving. Help us to think through that for our lives and forgive us when in so many ways we're more like the disciples were, more like Muhammad Ali spoke. Oh Lord, we do face temptation, some facing it, perhaps feeling in the onslaught of it now. We pray to be aware that we have an enemy, but we thank you as well for the encouragement 
of Jesus' prayerfulness and the restoration Peter had and that we may have through him. Oh Lord, we, we don't enjoy rejection. Uh, we shrink from it. We don't want to bring on ourselves rejection by our own clumsiness and thoughtlessness and arrogance. But help us to realise that in following Jesus, sometimes that will lead to rejection, difficulty, resistance, opposition. And we pray that when facing that, you would help us to remember Jesus who was numbered with the lawless and think of what he went through for us, that we may be strengthened out of love to follow him despite difficulties. So do make this a part of your word useful in our lives and outlook, we pray. We ask all this through Jesus Christ. Amen.